Revelation, and we'll be looking at uh, Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 15 through 29, Lord willing, tonight. I'm not sure if we'll be able to get through all of it, uh, but uh, anyways, Galatians chapter 3, and uh, let's start with verse 15 in Galatians uh, chapter 3, Galatians three fifteen. As we're continuing our study here in the book of Galatians, verse by verse, going through this, and uh, Galatians primarily has a great emphasis against legalism for faith in Christ alone, against the law and for uh, the gift of God, uh, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and so anyways, we're going to continue that study tonight. Galatians 3.15, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. We spoke about that verse last week, uh, how that in verse 16, in the modern translations, where this uh, passage of Scripture references back to, they will make offspring and they'll make it plural, thus taking away from the seed of Abraham pointing to Christ. And so the modern translations, they corrupt it, they pervert it, and uh, we found one, and we talked about that last week. Verse 17, And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore, then serveth the law. It was added. He's saying, why is the law come? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is a law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore? The law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ. We might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, you're no longer under schoolmaster, for you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized in Christ and put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, tonight as I... Go again through your word and the privilege it is to open up this wonderful sacred book. Father, I ask for your help. Lord, I'm thankful for the preserved word of God that we have in the English language and the King James. And Father, in the many modern translations, all of the modern translations, they seek to undermine and to steer a mind away from who Christ is. But Father, you've given us truth that has lasted, and I'm so thankful for that. Father, I thank you for being our great Savior. And God, I thank you that you've revealed all that we need to know. So God, you take over tonight. I'm your willing vessel. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. We talked about last week the contract principle. And this week, going further from this, Paul uh, underlines the sublime guarantee of the Abrahamic covenant that we find in verse 17. 
And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. And his departure from Haran would be 430 years until Israel would be delivered from Egypt. And God told them that. The 430 years that would come, as we find here in verse 17. Now, Paul is not necessarily concerned with the Old Testament theology here, as he's making a very telling point. The law given hundreds of years before the, you know, after the Abrahamic covenant could not annul or weaken the promise that God made to Abraham. It's a promise. And that word uh, here for disannul is to render null and void. The law could not undo it. Remember this, that the law was given when Israel was in the wilderness 430 years after Abraham was given his promises. So it can't undermine, the Abrahamic covenant is not undermined by the law which came hundreds of years later. It is a contract that God made. And everything is guaranteed by the word of God, pledged to Abraham with no human conditions attached to make the promise of none effect. Now, could the law have made the promise of none effect? It would have if, if the law could have undermined the promise that God made to Abraham, then it would have lessened its value. To destroy him, that, you know, and the fact that we have, the death of Christ effectively annuls the power of Satan. It lessens, it, it defeated. But the law cannot undo, lessen, or void in any way the promises of God. God made that promise to Abraham. The seed, as we find here, is Christ. And what has happened is that the people here in Galatia are now being snared by the law of Moses. Here's these young believers that are getting caught up in all of the... uh, trappings of legalism so paul takes them he doesn't go to the law of moses he goes back to abraham and he's he's he wants to deal with this issue head on that he wants to show these judaizers are nothing but false and and i understand that i've spoken on this for several weeks let me give you an illustration suppose i were to give my daughter a promise for example i will buy you a laptop computer for christmas now it wouldn't make sense for me to do that, but nevertheless, let's go with this. I give a promise, no strings attached. Now, a promise is a promise, and a few weeks later, I decide to add some conditions to that gift. I've given her the computer, I've given her the laptop, and now I decide to, to add some rules and laws. Well, now I have perjured, I have defiled what I had promised to her. I might say, well, you're going to give you a laptop for Christmas, and then several weeks later, I say, well, you've got to do X, Y, Z. I'm changing the conditions. It's not an unconditional promise. It's not a gift. It's something now that has to be earned, if I were to do that. And so for God to give a promise to Abraham, but then if you follow the logic of the Judaizers to add all of these conditions, that promise is not a promise. It's now something you have to earn. So it's totally undermined the gift that God gave to Abraham, if you follow the Judaizers' logic, which is false. But we find something here as we're looking at this. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise. Verse 18, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What did Abraham do that God gave that promise? Abraham merely believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
So God didn't give a promise only to give conditions for that promise. I find it interesting. I saw something here recently with an individual newer in the faith, and they were making some comments, and they made a comment about something on social media, and the comment had to deal with you're saved by faith, but you can lose your salvation. Well, if you can lose your salvation, you're now adding conditions to keeping that salvation that was never your gift in the first place. But one of the things that we find here, he says in verse 19, wherefore then serve the law? What is the purpose of the law? Why do we, you know, they're asking that question. Why is the law here? Why do we need the law? And what the law does, verse 19, it says it was added because of transgressions. So the fact is it's underlying and emphasizing the existence and the extent of of sin. Hey, you're trespassing into boundaries outside of what God has given. The transgression. You are going into territory outside of what God has given you to go into. You've thus transgressed or trespassed God's laws. And you're thereby getting into an understanding of your sinfulness. Now, the law itself does not save. And the law was not given to Moses and Israel while they were in bondage. The law was given after they had already got out of Egypt. That's very telling. They'd already been redeemed. So they were, you know, they, they were, <laughs> they're out of there. You know, God didn't give Moses the tables of the Ten Commandments while they were in Egypt. He redeemed Israel out of Egypt by the Passover lamb. They got their redemption by the lamb. It was a promise that God said, I'll deliver you. It's not how many sacrifices do we have to make and how good do we have to do. He said, no, the Passover lamb, put it on your doorpost. Now, he did say clean up your place, but nevertheless, God got them out. Then it says they baptized them unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. But you look in Scripture on this, and you know, having first saved them, then he separated them. He got them out of Egypt, and then across the Red Sea, separating them from Egypt. So there's now a physical, geographical barrier between them and Egypt. And Egypt is many times a picture in the Bible of the world. But there in the desert... God gives the law to show how a saved people ought to live. God didn't do that while in Egypt. Because they're, as you think about the analogy, while they're in Egypt, they're lost. They're in bondage. They're redeemed by no good works of their own. God got them out with the death angel and that redemptive lamb, the Passover lamb. He gets them across the Red Sea into the wilderness and then gives them laws on how they are to live their lives to be pleasing to the Lord. And a behavior that God expected of His redeemed people. So the purpose of the law really was to educate people in the scope and the seriousness of sin. It was added, as we find, because of transgressions. We find there in the, in the wilderness... 
they get across the Red Sea, they're there in the wilderness, and very shortly thereafter, they begin to complain. And, and they, oh, Moses, we have no water. And so God's giving, there's these laws and these things that, hey, here's how you, I protect you as my people. Remember the redemptive story of Israel out of Egypt was reminded by Rahab. She says, look at what, we know God got you across that Red Sea. Just as when a Christian gets saved, there's a difference. You're no longer in bondage. You're in freedom and you know what you have in Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. There's a difference. And so people say, there's something different about you. Israel's no longer in bondage. They're now separated. You know, they went through the Red Sea as a picture of baptism there and the idea, but they're now in the wilderness and God says, I want you to live as my people and here's how you do it as the redeemed people of God. And the people would wish themselves back in Egypt and murmur against Moses because they had nothing to eat. They came to Rephidim and they're ready to stone him because there's no water to drink and even as God was giving Moses' law, or giving the law of Moses there on Mount Sinai, the people were dancing around the golden calf and given to idolatry. The law was given because of sin, edict by edict without a redeemed people, and he says, here's my redeemed people that I want to be my image bearers to the world. When sentenced to death in the wilderness, they suddenly changed their mind and presumptuously voted to go into Canaan in defiance of God, only to be defeated. They listened to Korah, they listened to Dathan, they listened to Abiram. They raised the flag of rebellion against God and against Moses and Aaron. I mean, Korah, the ground opens up and boom, these, all of these 250 people are consumed and die. And the people see this, and yet they persist in a rebellion against God. They complained about the man and the law that was added. But the law that was added, just because it was added of how to live in, for God, did not make the promise of God any less valid. And that's the same way if someone today says, well, you get saved by faith in Jesus, but you can lose it later on. Saying that promise that God made is not good. I mean, that whole redemptive story is, is an illustration and a picture of the Christian's life. The whole ceremonial law, the whole offerings of burnt offerings and all of these things. You know, that they would say it's made provision for guilt in the place of Calvary. The law teaches us that with a transgression, there comes penalty. It's our conscience to say, hey, listen, you've, you've gone wrong direction. You know, individuals might say, let your conscience be your guide. But I say that's very bad advice. There was a gentleman, John Huss, and John Huss would ally himself back in the 1400s with John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe, if you know, is the morning star who sought to get the Bible in the language that people could read. And he was hated by the Catholic Church, and eventually John Wycliffe was killed, and John Huss would be killed. 
And while he's going to be burned at the stake, a widow approached the authorities carrying a faggot of wood. She's carrying a, a bundle of wood to put on there onto the place where John Huss is going to be burned. She said, put it up close to this blasphemous heretic, she said. Let me read the illustration. John Huss, bound to the stake, heard the woman. What have I ever done to you? He asked her. You should hate me so, the woman replied. You are a heretic. It is a good work to burn a heretic. I am poor and wood is scarce and expensive. I cannot afford this faggot. But to acquire merit, I wish to have a share in burning you. She said, I wish to earn a better place with God by giving the wood that burns you at the stake. And the conscience here. John Huss's conscience was give your body to be burned for Christ. This woman's conscience says give your faggot to burn him. Give the wood that is necessary to burn this man, to hopefully make it my way closer to God. You see, conscience needs an outside authority, divinely inspired standard. Your conscience works upon some standard. You know, a little kid... You know, as a young kid, I might have been told, don't touch the oven or don't eat the cookies. That's something that's, you know, don't eat the cookies. They're going to be for later tonight. And if I eat a cookie when I'm told not to, I'm going to try, my conscience is going to convict me that I've done wrong. My conscience is the very thing the law provides a standard and so Israel is given a standard in the wilderness of what God expects of the believer of Israel at that time. We don't have those laws anymore. And many of those laws that were given were for hygiene. And we have much different hygiene standards today because of the advancement in technology. Now, the law shows us I'm helpless. The law shows me that I'm not perfect. And yet, these Judaizers are trying to heap the law for a condition of salvation upon these new Galatian converts. But in verse 20, now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Uh, you know, and he adds a fact of a mediator here. <clears throat> when God was speaking to Abraham, was there a mediator? No, God directly spoke to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abraham believed God. There was no mediator. But the law that was given, God spoke to Moses, and then Moses spoke to the people. Moses was the mediator here. I mean, the Abrahamic covenant had neither angel nor witness to administer it because it depended upon God to make the promise. But angels were involved in the giving of the law. Look with me at Acts chapter 7, verse 53. Acts chapter 8, verse, Acts chapter 7, excuse me, Acts chapter 7, verse 53. So in this discussion here, uh, as Stephen is giving it, Acts chapter 7, verse 53, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Here's the giving out, right? Uh, and then Paul mentioned them to show the inferiority of the law to the gospel. 
in Hebrews 2, 2, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. But Moses was a mediator of this law upon Israel. A mediator cannot mediate on behalf of one part only. He is the representative, Israel's representative, at Sinai to Israel, giving them the law, a mediator. But God gave the promise that was conditioned upon God himself. The law needed a mediator. But in his grace to Abraham, when he gave him that promise, and and Abraham put his faith in the promise that God gave, there's no mediator because the conditions of that were wholly uh, upon. I mean, if you make a contract, if I sign a house, if I buy a house or I buy a car, you need a witness. The law needed a witness to say, hey, Israel said, we agree to the law. We will follow the law and if we breach the law, we agree with the consequences that you're telling us will happen. So Moses was that witness, the mediator between God and the promises. God says, listen, you can stay in the land of Canaan if, if you continue to follow my laws. And God says, if you don't, there's going to be problems. In Genesis chapter 15, I want to show you something interesting here. Genesis chapter 15. This contract that God made with Abraham, the promise. There's an interesting way that God does this. In Genesis 15, Abraham goes into a deep sleep. And God walks between two divine pieces of sacrifice. Genesis chapter 15, verse 12. I want to read this for you. And it's very telling that you would want to verify this contract. And God verified the contract of the promise to Abraham upon his own authority and his own person. He was the one making the promise, and he was also the one to confirm the promise. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. The seed that's going to come from you is going to be the Messiah. I spoke about that last week, but God does something here in verse 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in good old age. But in the fourth generation shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those two pieces. That is the key right there. Let me read a little information on this, verse 17. The lamp passes between these two sacrificial pieces. In becoming part of the covenant he, God, had made with Abram, God in a symbolic fashion passed between the divided animals laid out on the ground. In so doing, he signified that he had thus confirmed the covenant to Abraham as noted in verse 10. 
It's in verse 10, And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. So God passes through this, and there in those ancient times, it's a confirmation that God's promise would stand upon the character of God. The steadfastness, the immutability, the unchangingness of God. That promise to Abraham is still in effect today. In Genesis 17, God again expands on this promise. As Abraham's prostrate on his face before God. The law was a contract. But the law was not a promise. The promise to Abraham, which was 430 years late, the, the law given to Moses was 430 years after the promise to Abraham, and that still stood. God's promise still stood for Israel to get into the promised land. Forty years later, as they would find, as they murmured and complained, and God would have that whole generation die, everyone 20 years of age and older. And we find as we come back to our passage of Scripture here, verse 21 of Galatians, is the law then against the promises of God. And he says the strongest prohibition in the Bible, God forbid. There is no way that the law is against the promises. Okay, so if the law isn't against the promise of God, then what really, how does this all work out? There's not a rivalry between these. The goal was for the righteousness for fallen man. And the law was given to prove something here. The law cannot give life. Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. The law was given to prove something. Guess what? None of us are perfect. That's what the law does. The law merely gives us an evil, equal playing. You know, at the foot of that cross, all of us are sinners. That's what it proves. That I'm not innocent. That's number one. Number two, the law magnifies God's promise by its very function. Because in verse 22... It, it, in verse 20, end of 21, verily righteousness should have been by the law. You can't be right before God and perfect before God by be, being perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us. We can't be, the law only gives condemnation. It doesn't give righteousness. It doesn't make you right. So then, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin. Amen. We're all in part of Adam's fallen race. But then something happens. Verse 23. You know that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. The promise to Abraham, Abraham believed God by faith. You and I believe what Jesus did on that cross as a redemption like coming out of Egypt by faith. Simply put. So our salvation is based and it stands upon the character of God, not us. God gave the promise. He gave the promise to Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. I believe what the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My eternity rests upon the character of God. Abraham royally messed up. I mean, he had a, he had a, a maid, Hagar. He didn't believe God. They had a child, you know, there with not Sarah. Did that at all break the promise that God made to Abraham? No, it didn't. 
It never broke it. Moses, I mean, Abraham just literally, from the age 75 to age 100, when he had the child Isaac, all of his failures, going back into Egypt, I mean, Abraham really, he really goofed up. But none of that ever nullified or did away with the promise. And the scripture concludes we're all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. It's it's by faith. And then God is the one that keeps me by his faith because he's the one that gives me the promise, so my eternity rests upon the character of God. Now, Let's look at verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. You know, before you became a Christian, <clears throat> you're under the law. You're guilty. And you're, a lot of people are trying to merit their way to get to God. But then something happened. Verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Now, what is this idea uh, of, you know, uh, of the schoolmaster? I want to look back, verse 23, it says, shut up, and it shows us, you know, like fish are trapped in a net, completely unable to get out. We are completely unable to get out of the consequences of the law that we've broken. We can't get out. There's nothing we can do. So when Paul is hitting at this legalism that you have to do something for salvation, or it's faith and then he's saying, no, that's not the case. Because in the law, there's nothing you can do. When Israel, to get out of Egypt, there was nothing that they could do, but they merely had the Passover lamb. And the Passover lamb, God's the one that did the deliverance. Abraham, the promise, God gave the promise. Abraham, there's nothing he could do to earn that promise. It was based upon what God did. God's the one that gave the contract, and God's the one that confirmed the contract. And it's later to be revealed. And the revelation of Christ here, as you think about this. And so during this whole period of time, as Israel's there in the promised land, and then they go into captivity in the times of the Gentiles, the law is still binding upon them. They're all guilty. The seed, and then we come to the taskmaster, the schoolmaster. The people that were there in the church of Galatia were telling these young believers, do this, don't do this, you must do this. All these things that they needed to do to somehow, you know, set aside this holiday, set aside this, you know, feast and many things that are in the Jewish calendars. Those are all to be reminders of the deliverance from Egypt, the world picture. But that didn't make them right with God. And we find, as you see here, the law was our schoolmaster. It was bondage. They'd exchange one taskmaster for a new taskmaster. The people had, the law that the people had before, you know, was holy, just, and good. The law was perfect. But the law carries with it a whip, if you would. 
It carries with it a thing, if, if you do something wrong, there's consequences. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ. So Paul brings another illustration here. That word here that we find, schoolmasters, from which we derived our word pedagogy, or as a teacher teaches the students. And what the law does is it's simply to be put, I mean, and this is the pride of Israel. Israel thought, well, because we're God's people, we've got out of Egypt, we must be, we must be right with God all the time, doesn't matter what we do, how we do it. And, and that relationship with God, and God continued to reach out, and they continued to kill the prophets, and continued to go their own ways, and stiff-necked, and hard-hearted, and they went into bondage. But what it does, a schoolmaster says, hey, I'm guilty, and so are you. I mean, it's like a teacher trying to teach some children some good manners. <laughs> you know, there's a restraint. And the restraints, realizing that I can't keep them, it brings me to understand that, but after the fa- in verse 25, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under schoolmaster. The law only, all it does is continue to show my wrongs, to pinpoint. <clears throat> I don't know about you, I know in my personal life, if someone always held your wrongs that you had done against you, hey, you did this, and you did this, and you did this, and you did this, and you broke the <laughs> you're like, get away. I don't want to be around that person. Because if someone's always bringing up the past, that's bondage. And that's what the schoolmaster does. But the, it's, what it's doing is it ought to, bring, bringing up the past and the guiltiness of my conscience, it should be pushing me to Christ to say, okay, I'm going to take by faith what Jesus did, and I'm going to trust that, and then I'm going to put in silence that taskmaster. I want you to know, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. So we spoke about tonight in several things. While Egypt, excuse me, while Israel was in Egypt, God did not give them the law. Just as God doesn't give us, you know, in when we're in our lost state, the need that we have is that I need freedom. How do I get out of bondage? While in Egypt, God didn't give them the law. He merely made a way, if you believe by faith, you have the Passover lamb to give him freedom. He got him across the Red Sea. There's an aspect of surrender, like in baptism, and there in the wilderness, then he gave it to them. Now in Matthew 7, or Jeremiah 7, 22, Jeremiah 7, 22, For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God. And ye shall be my people, and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. God did not give to get out of Egypt 
They simply had to take God by faith and walk out of Egypt. It was by faith. With the promise that they'll get into the Canaan land, that promise that was still there from 430 years before given to Abraham. God didn't give all the trappings of all these sacrifices. No, God merely said, just obey. The schoolmaster's no longer needed. Faith has come. And like Abraham, we're justified by faith. The Apostle Paul is telling the church of Galatia, please don't go back to the taskmaster. Don't go back to the schoolmaster who only wants... Would you want to go back to someone who continually tells you all the bad you've ever done in your entire life? I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to try to have to make amends and appease God by trying to make up for all the bad I've done in the past. I don't think you would either. Because I I don't feel like I could ever do enough. It's faith that got Abraham, he believed God, it was accounted for him. That's how Abraham was a believer. That's how Israel, they got out by faith in the Passover lamb. That's how we get freedom out of Egypt, out of the bondage of sin and slavery of this world, by faith. Then we come to verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Freedom. And I'm going to leave it there for this evening. There's quite a bit to go over in this last little bit that we'll have here. But this kind of closing argument here in chapter 3. When you begin to think, uh, you know, as I think about that and study this and this idea, these notes here, looking at some of these by John Phillips, but, you know, God didn't give the law to Israel while they're in bondage. God's given us many many instructions in the Bible as believers on how to have that close relationship with Him, how to have God's hand and a blessing upon us, and how to go forward and do much for God, how to be an ambassador to the world. God's given us instructions just as He gave Israel there in the wilderness. I mean, that's just a, a point that sticks out so strong in my mind. Man, we have a good God. Just think about this. I'm so glad for the freedom I have in Jesus Christ. We'll talk about the last few verses of chapter 3 next week, Lord willing, should the Lord tarry. And uh, I just trust tonight as we come to a time of invitation and just think about it, a short time of invitation with prayer. I am so thankful that I don't have to worry about whether I'm a child of God. If I believed God, what He says, Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. My eternity doesn't rest upon me. Abraham didn't rest upon him being good before God. He merely believed by faith, and he was eternally a child of God's. And we know that Abraham messed up. We know that we've messed up. But faith completes the law.
And I now have a new authority. The law was my schoolmaster. I don't like under that constant guilt of the weight of my sin. I like the freedom I have in Jesus Christ. And so tonight, as we think on these very truths, may we just rejoice in the goodness of God. So in a time of invitation here, with heads bowed and eyes closed, no music tonight, I just encourage you tonight to thank the Lord that I don't have to live with the hope that I am His child. I can know for certain that my eternity rests upon the character of God, the one who gave me the promise. And I'm so thankful for that. Verse 29 of Galatians 3, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you enter in as to Abraham's seed, and you're an heir to a promise that God made for eternity. And may we take solace in how great God is. When you're done praying there, look up, and I'll conclude us in prayer this evening, and then we'll come to our time of prayer and missionary letters. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you for this precious evening. Father, I want to thank you that the law cannot undermine or lessen the promise that you've given. We know that Abraham messed up after he believed God, and yet the promise still stood. Our Father, I just want to say thank You that I can't keep my salvation, that it rests in Your character and the promise that You've given. Lord, You're our God. You're our Savior. Lord, we are secure by faith in You alone. Lord, I'm also thankful, Father, for the freedom that we have to not have to have all of the condemnation of the law upon our hearts and minds. Father, we can have peace and liberty because of Jesus. Father, I thank You for being our dear and precious God. I yield today to Thee. I love You. Thank You for all You've done for us and how You've blessed us and kept us. Lord, I pray should there be someone tonight that's never accepted You watching, that's never accepted Jesus as their Savior. Father, I pray tonight they'd realize their black heart of sin and ask You to forgive them of all their sins and be their Savior. Oh God, what a wonderful truth it is to be Your child. And for us as Christians, God, I pray that we would just rejoice that I don't have to have a constant weight of condemnation against me. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. who Walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And the truth is, oh my, what privilege as a Christian. I love You. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. <music>